Well, I figured if Mary can travel all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem, maybe on a donkey about to pop, I feel like I can drive in a car with like heated seats and reclines and, you know, all of it. So um, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, My name is Jess, as Adam was saying, and my husband Aaron and I, we are associate pastors at Catch the Fire in Raleigh, North Carolina. So it's just fun to always be with like biological family, but also family in our movement and just our global Catch the Fire family. So it's really a privilege to be here with you this morning. So thanks for having us and our Christmas service. I feel like the worship set you guys were singing just set up so much of what um, I had on my heart to share with you and what the Holy Spirit was saying. So obviously he was working. Obviously <laughs> he was talking to, uh, to us even when we didn't realize it. But um, yeah, so we have two children, Jude and Zoe. Jude just turned three, and our daughter Zoe uh, just turned 18 months old, and then we have this one coming. So we're a bit crazy, but, you know, pop them out, and then you can be done. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm hoping. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so life is about to get, get even crazier, and as I think about this message, I think about uh, just even my own life and how I can really prioritize the Lord um, and my relationship with him and just the growing friendship that I have with him, even in the midst of chaos. So how many of you here feel like sometimes life is chaotic? Yeah? You go to work, you wake up, you go to work all day, you come home, then you got to, like, get everything done, cook, clean, maybe you have kids. Uh, if you're in the kid phase of life, it's absolute madness. Um, and life just gets busier and busier, and things feel like, you're like, okay, next month will be easier. And then it gets here, and it's just as busy, if not worse. And it's like you're looking for the break in between each storm. And somehow in there, we have to prioritize our health, our uh, mental health, our, um, our families, our friendships, the Lord, first and foremost, right? Maybe you're in school or university, and you're like, I have homework, I have studying. And it's really hard sometimes to actually not compartmentalize our life and fit God into a time slot and into just a moment in our day, but rather live a life that's just worship to him in everything that we do. And so this morning, I want to take you guys back to the very beginning, okay? So Genesis chapter 1, God says, let there be light, and he says that with one word, right, or let there be light. It's four words. He says it was four words, and he says, let there be light. And there was light. And then he created um, the sun and the moon to, you know, create night and day, and the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the animals. And after each day, what did he say? He said, it is good. Okay, so he's looking at his creation, and he's like, this is good, but something's missing. So he It says he roughly formed Adam, and he breathed life into the dust, and Adam and man was created. And then he's like, I need a partner for this person. So he takes a rib out of Adam, and he, it says he, like, gently fashioned woman, okay? So he roughly formed man, then he took time, and he formed the woman, am I right? All the women in here, snap, snap. Um... (laughs) And then he looked at his creation, and what did he say? He said, it is very good, very good. So we are actually the pinnacle of God's creation, and then he took the seventh day to rest. And 
the original intention for humanity, for mankind, was for us to dwell with God in communion, in person, flesh, like right here, like this, like I am with Aaron. We're talking, we're communing, we're side by side, face to face. It says that in the cool of the day, God would come and he would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. I like to picture like a misty, beautiful, like oasis garden and God's just walking and he's like, Adam, Eve, come join me. Picture like this beautiful, incredible oasis, tropical rainforest with just everything you could imagine. And God said one thing to them. He said, you can eat of any fruit of any tree in this entire garden except for the tree of or the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do that you will surely die and um, if Adam and Eve were to eat from this tree they would realize and recognize that they're well first they would sin and then they'd be ashamed by it and they'd recognize that I'm naked I like I'm ashamed and that's exactly what happened is they ate this fruit and they hid from God because they were so ashamed. They realized they were naked. They were afraid. And God came looking for them. And God knew what they had done, right? He's God. But he's looking for them and he's calling out, Adam, Eve, you know, where are you? And he's walking in the garden. And then he, he realizes that they had hidden from him. And so he decides that he has to actually kick them out of this garden, the place that he had created for them to habitate with them, the people that he had created. He created the animals. They were good, but they weren't good enough. He was like, I need, I need someone I can be in relationship with. And I feel like at that moment, that was when God's heart was like just broken. You know, the intention that he had, the original goodness that he had for us, for humanity, it's like we blew it, you know? And the reason why he kicked us out of the garden is because he was like, if you eat now from the tree of life, you're going to have to live forever in that state of being separated from me, in a state of sin. And I always like, I always picture God as he's, you know, kicking them out of the garden. And he's like, don't worry, I have a plan. I have a plan for humanity. I have a plan to restore you. And we see the journey of the Old Testament and the, the ancient Israelites and what they had to do. Um, in order to atone for their sins. Can you guys imagine coming here to church today, having to bring your dead animal or your live animal at the time, like dragging it to church, you got your lamb, you're coming, you're like, I sinned this week, I gotta bring the lamb. You lay it on the altar, you slaughter it, they're shedding of blood, your sin is atoned for. This is what the Israelites had to do every time to atone for their sins. And it's hard for us to understand that because we don't have to do that anymore, thank you Jesus. But this was their life. And only the, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and actually be with God. The whole, like, us singing here and worshiping and communing with God, we weren't allowed to do that. The high priest had to go in, and they actually had to tie a rope around the ankle of the priest because if he went in and was so overcome by the presence of God and, like, died... No one could go in there to get him because they weren't holy enough. So they're like, we just got to drag him out of there. Like this was the reality of the Israelites. This is what happened. This was the consequence of the fall of Adam and Eve. And the whole time, through thousands of years, God's like, I have a plan. Just you wait. I have a plan. And in Luke 1, the angel appears to Zechariah and he says, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. His name is going to be John. And he's going to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And this is 
this is like the first moment. And then as we continue to read, the angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to have a son. He's gonna, his name is going to be Jesus. He's going to be the savior of the world. And she's like this virgin woman. And she's like, God, I'm not even married. How can I even get pregnant? And he's like, you're, it's going to be like a divine heaven is going to place this baby in your womb. And you're going to give birth to the son of God. And we know the story of Joseph is like, I want, like, I can't marry this woman. She's pregnant. She must have cheated on me or something. There's no way she could be pregnant anywhere else. And an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, no, Mary is going to give birth to the son of God. And you're to take her as your wife. And, and he's going to be the savior of the world. And we start to see the beginning of the redemption story that God had for humanity. It's like often we think about the cross and we're like, yes, that's where, you know, the redemption happened for us. And 100% that is, but it's not the start of it. The start of it is God being like, I need to give up my one and only son. And I'm, the only way I can do this is by giving him to the world as a baby. And we, we hear the Christmas stories and we see the nativity scenes and we're singing about it. And it's really cute, like baby Jesus in his manger. Isn't it cute? <laughs> yeah. But that Jesus in the manger is the son of God. It's the same God that said, let there be light. It's the same God that breathed the breath of life into Adam's lungs. It's that same God that kicked them out of the garden but said, I have a plan. Just you wait. I'm coming back. It's the same God that was prophesied all throughout the prophets in Isaiah when they're saying he's going to come. His name is going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Prince of peace, king of kings, lord of lords. And here he is, and he shows up in a manger. There's no room at the inn for him. There's no room for the king. He deserved, like, golden diapers and, like, the, like, red and gold bassinet with, like, all this jewelry and gold. And here he is, and his mom is giving birth in a stable beside the cows and the goats and the sheep and the horses and all the crap manure that comes with that. And <clears throat> and this is the start of God's redemption story for us. And when I think about this, the cost that it would have been for God to give up his one and only son, it was such a high, heavy price that it literally like bankrupted heaven when God said, I'm going to send my son. It was such a costly price because the cost of something is how much you're willing to pay for it, Right? We see online all these, like, sneakers that are selling for, like, $40,000. Someone's buying a pair of Air Jordans that are, like, limited edition, only 100 made, $40,000. People are paying for that. But they're American, exactly. So, like, $2 million Canadian. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> sorry, low blow. No, it's great for us. We're like, yeah, our money goes so far. Except the taxes, pretty high on the sales tax. <laughs> Um, but these people are willing to pay that price for something. And God, he looks at humanity and he's like, it is such a costly price and the only thing that could satisfy that is the life and the death of my son Jesus. And it's the most costly price that I could ever imagine is giving up my one and only son. When I think about my son, Jude, my one and only son, the fact that I would have to like sacrifice him for the life of someone else be like, no way, they're not worth it. 
sorry, you're not worth the life of my son. But God looks at all of humanity and he's like, this is the only way. This price is so high, but I'm willing to pay for it. But it's going to bankrupt heaven. It's going to cost something. It's going to cost me the life of my only son, Jesus. So now I want to take you guys, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn with me um, to Matthew 26, verse 6. I want to read you guys the story of someone in the Bible that in the same way um, gave up something that was extremely high price and high value and costly to them. So you can follow along with me. Matthew 26, verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and money given to the poor. Doesn't that sound holy? They're like, there's poor people that need this money, and yet you're wasting it on this man. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then if you have uh, your Bibles too, turn with me to Luke 7. Um, there's a bit of kind of more detail as well in the, in the book of Luke about this story. It says, then Jesus said, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven loves little. Oh, wait. But whoever has been forgiven loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. So this woman was, it says, a woman of the world, which probably means that she was a prostitute. So she's selling her body and doing something incredibly, even today in society, if you're a prostitute, it's not like 2,000 years has passed and we're like, oh yeah, prostitutes, that's, that's cool. No, it's still something that's not, not so good. So here she is, a woman of the world, and even the fact that she's in the same room as Jesus, a single man, and she's here and she, he's at a dinner party. And it was custom in that day for someone to come and wash your feet because either you were barefoot or you were wearing sandals and you were most likely walking, which meant that there would be, there's camels and donkeys and, like I said, all that other stuff comes along with those animals is usually all over your feet and dust and sand. And even the guests of the house didn't even wash Jesus' feet when he came in the door. And this woman, she she sees something in Jesus, and she's, she's like, I have to honor him for who he is. And she takes something that they basically say is about a, worth a year's wages. So thousands, tens of thousands of dollars equivalent today's age. Let's say like $50,000. And she pours it out on Jesus' hair, and she's like wiping his feet with her hair. She's kissing him. 
She's showing him this incredible act of vulnerability, this incredible act of honor, this incredible act of just her giving something that is costly to her, something that is a sacrifice, and pouring it at the feet of Jesus. And even Jesus' disciples, he would say things like, I'm going to leave you, and they're like, they don't believe him. They don't even believe that he's going to die. And here she's doing something that is actually a preparation for burial ritual. And so somehow she understands that Jesus is going to actually leave. And so she's preparing him and giving something of a high price and pouring it out on Jesus. And it's something so beautiful and incredible that... It literally says here in Matthew, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And I'm going to tell you guys this story. When um, After I graduated high school, I went and lived in Mozambique uh, for six months. And there was this one day where I was in church, and all of the kids who lived in the village, they would come, and um, they'd be like dancing with you and da da da. So I'm lying down in worship, and this little girl comes over to me, and just gonna be really honest, she lies down beside me, and she smells really really bad. Okay, she's really poor. She probably hasn't showered in I don't know how long. She had um, what they call scabies on her head, which is like a fungal infection, just on her head. And I'm lying there, and I'm like, <sighs> like you're trying to be holy, and you're like, yeah, I need to love on the poor and these kids, but also, like, it's really gross, God. Like, just being totally real here with you guys, okay? And back then, I was, like, pretty hardcore. So even that, I was like, and all of a sudden, I start to smell this incredible, like, perfume smell, like, all over this little girl. And I'm like, I literally start going, like, leaning into her and, like, sniffing so hard. And I'm like, this is so creepy. Um, but for a week straight, everywhere I went, I would wake up in the night, I would wake up in the morning, I would do my entire day. All I could smell literally the entire week was that perfume smell for an entire week. And so I'm lying down in class one day and I'm just like, God, what, like, what is this smell? Why, why am I smelling this? And I had this, um, God took me in this vision and I saw Jesus and he was sat there And this might not be theologically correct or whatever, but this was my vision, so. (laughs) But I saw Jesus sat there, and I saw his hair, and it was, um, it was dripping. And he said, this woman will be remembered for what she's done. And I woke up from that, and I just wept on the floor for an hour. And I was like, "The, the, the moments of time where I give God my everything, where I give God something that is so costly to me, something that is a sacrifice to me, that will be remembered in God's heart forever. The moments that I choose him over something else, the moments I choose him over someone else, the moments I choose to say yes instead of no, the moments I obey him, just the small moments, the big moments, everything in between, that will be remembered in God's heart forever and ever And I just was weeping, and I was like, I don't know what to do with this, God. Like, I, yes, you can have my life, you can have my heart, you can have everything. And there's there's a cost to following Jesus, right? We have to give him our lives. And the thing is, is we, it's not about striving, it's not about trying to do something in our own strength, it's not about... If I spend more time with God, if I say yes to God, if I obey him, then I'm going to get into heaven, then I'll be in God's good books, 
whatever, or he'll love me more. It's not about that. It's about recognizing the cost that heaven paid for us and saying, okay, I have nothing I can give you but my life. I have nothing I can give you but my yes. Here it is. Like, it's never going to make a dent in the debt that I owe. But what I can give, I give you freely, God. What I can give in my heart, I give you. I open up my heart to you. And I love that we were, um, we were singing these songs this morning of come let us adore you. And you didn't have to come, but you did. And just all of the things that was like the cry in my heart this, the past couple weeks of just saying to God, God, I don't have much, but what I do have, I give you freely. I recognize the cost. I recognize that often I choose like busyness over you. Often I choose Netflix over you. Often I choose, you know, X, Y, and Z. You can fill it in with your own life. But what if we actually took a, um, a moment to be really real with ourselves and say, what are we choosing over God? And maybe we're actually choosing fear. We're partnering with fear. We're, we're partnering with um, unbelief and doubt. And we're partnering with, like, whatever it is. What are we... What are we choosing over God every day? And there's this story that Jen Johnson shares, and she says um, she had a crazy day with her kids. They were young, and she was about to go lead worship at one of their conferences. So she's in the car, and she's driving, and her father-in-law, Bill Johnson, is in the seat uh, beside her. So she gets in the car. She's, like, flustered. She finally made it out the door. Any other parent, you, like, finally get out the door. They're with the sitter. They're, like they'll survive. Whatever happens, they'll survive. So you sat in the car, and she's like, she's like, okay, mom hat off, worship hat on. And her father-in-law turns to her, and he goes, see, the problem is you never should have taken your worship hat off. And when she's telling this story, I was like, oh my gosh, the fact that we compartmentalize God. We're like, okay, I can fit you in in the morning in 30, for 10 minutes or whatever, and then the rest of the day, I have my day to do. And God's like, remember what was my original intention? It was the garden. It was the in communion with me, with my presence. It says when Jesus left earth, like after he was resurrected, he said, it's better that I go because if I go, I can leave you my Holy Spirit, which will be with you wherever you go, the comforter, the guide. So he's saying, it's actually better that I go because I'm only one person, but I'm leaving you with my spirit that will be with you wherever you go. And so God's like, you don't have to compartmentalize your life and say, okay, this part is worship, this part is for you, God, and then this is the rest. There's actually an invitation that as we say yes to him, as we say, okay, God, my life is busy, my life is stressful, but I want to invite you into every moment. I want to lay down my life every morning and say, God, I'm laying down my life. I'm giving you my yes. Will you come and will you fill my day with your presence? Will you fill it with your favor? Will you fill it with your joy? I recognize the cost that you gave me and today I choose to say yes to you. I choose to lay down my agenda and say yes to you and what you have for me. Yes, come on. I live in the South and like people are always like, come on. So I like a little uh, participation. Come on. Come on. Yeah, we don't want to give God just the scraps that are left at the end of our day. We want to give him our first fruits, right? We want to give him our everything. So I want to actually invite you guys. Why don't we just, um, 
Why don't we stand for a moment? Um, I, I just want us to take a moment this morning as we start to think about Christmas coming up. And we sing the songs and we, you know, we, we think about it and we're like, yeah, Jesus came and he was born, but what does that actually mean for me in my life? What, is, what does the birth of Jesus mean? It's the start of heaven's plan, of heaven's redemption story for us, for humanity, for our own lives. And I want us just to take a moment before we go anywhere else, and we're just going to thank Jesus for coming to this world as a baby, for coming as someone that had to come and be so dependent on his mother. When I think about my own kids, it's like they can, when they're that young, they can hardly, they can't do anything for themselves. They can't even put their pacifier in their own mouth. They can't feed themselves. They can't change their diaper. They can't do anything. And that's how the Son of God chose to come to this earth. So Jesus, we thank you. Why don't you just thank him in your own heart for coming down from heaven, coming as a baby, for making a way, for starting the redemption story for humanity, for starting the redemption story for my own life, for your life, for our lives. Jesus, we thank you. You're so worthy. Your sacrifice, your life, God, was not done in vain. It was, it means everything to us. We're so thankful for you, God. Thank you that you lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, that you endured the cross for us, Lord. That we were the joy set before you. And thank you, God, that you chose to sacrifice your one and only son. You chose to send your son to this world for us to be the savior of our lives, God, even though it cost you everything. And this morning, Lord, just like the woman at Bethany, just like Mary, as she poured out the most costly thing that she owned all over you, Lord, this morning we give our hearts to you, we give our lives to you, Just tell him, God, I give you my life this morning. I give you my heart. I give you my time. Sometimes I pray this prayer, God, would you help me want you more? Help me want to want you. I want to want you. I want to hunger for you, God. I want to thirst for you. Because blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So God, would you come this morning and would you meet our hunger? Would you meet our expectation? We want to pour out everything at your feet, Lord. I felt that there was um, a moment of just even repentance this morning before God. And if there's any shame of just... Sometimes I feel shameful. I feel ashamed that I'm not, you know, prioritizing God or whatever it is. And God's like, no, let's break that off. You don't need shame. (laughs) So if you want, you can repeat this after me. But God, the truth is, 
I don't always prioritize you the way I should. I don't always make room for you like I should. I don't always listen to you like I should. And not should in a striving way, but in a want way. But I ask that you would forgive me, Lord. You would release any shame off of me. And you would just draw close to me this morning. We respond to your call, Lord. And we draw close to you, too.